one holy night, all of history changed with the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. God in flesh, the incarnation. And as a testimony of our faith, we celebrate each year by preparing to remember His coming. Last week we began a journey looking in Isaiah chapter 9 and we're going to go back to that place. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to go ahead and and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be spending our time together looking, considering who Jesus is. As I told you last week, Isaiah lived in some dark days. And most of us can kind of understand that. We can kind of relate to that. We think of our world as a dark place. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of man doing injustice to man. But Isaiah's situation was very stark. A good king had died. A good political leader, but a good moral man. He wasn't perfect. He had made mistakes, but... When he died, it left a sense of drifting within the nation. Where would they go? Who would lead? What direction would that new leader take them? Isaiah had grave concerns, and rightfully so. Within a generation of his writing this, Israel would fall. Captivity would come. The land of Israel would be overrun by opposition. It would have been destroyed, laid to waste. And only a remnant was left behind. As I told you last week, Isaiah was looking down through the corridors of time. I don't know how it happens. I just know God does it. Don't you love those God things? The things that you can't explain. God just does something and all you can do is just sit back and say, wow. That's how it was for Isaiah. He had no way of, of explaining it other than he was looking down through the corridor of time. And God showed him there is this amazing bright light. There is hope. There is a future. There is one coming who will bring all things back together. And Isaiah wrote about that. In the ninth chapter of his prophecy, we're going to look together beginning at verse 2. If you have your Bible open there, I'm going to invite you, if you can, and will, to stand with me in honor of our fathers. We read together this morning from his inspired word. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. The prophet said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice with, when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor. The mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Those are the names of my Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, as we spend these moments together, I pray you would speak truth into our lives. Father, someone came into this room this morning hurting. I pray that you would bind up their wounds and give them peace. Some came into this room searching for a relationship with the Savior. I pray that today you would call them to yourself. And Father, there are those who came into this room today who are struggling to find their way. I pray that today you would become their counselor. Lord, I pray that today each one of us would look upon Jesus and be filled with a sense of awe and wonder. Now speak to us through your word, Father. And may your Holy Spirit do that which he desires in each life. For we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. As I told you last week, names are important. They carry some weight of meaning. They, they have a way of revealing nature and character. For many people who don't really say, well, I, that's not true of me. I was named this and that doesn't characterize me at all. But you know, I think that there's some truth to this as well. That as we learn what our names mean and as we ponder that, as we grow, as we age, as we mature, we are drawn toward that meaning and say, you know what, maybe this is part of my purpose. Maybe this is part of what I need to be fulfilling with my life. And, and I think that certainly that's true in many of our lives, but I don't think it was true in the life of Jesus. He was all of the things that the prophet said. He was those things before he came. He was those things while he was here, and he is still those things today. What things am I talking about? Well, the names that the prophet gave him. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Last week, we considered the fact that Jesus is wonderful. But today... I want us to move to the very next word, counselor. And I want us to consider his name, counselor. What does that mean? I, listen, I, I just want to pause before I even go any further and say, I knew, I knew that I would be asked about the comma. What about the comma? What about the comma, pastor? You see, there are interpreters who choose to link these words together, wonderful counselor. There are other interpreters who have chosen to drop a comma in there and make them two distinct titles, wonderful counselor. I don't object to either one. Here's the reality, folks. It's all a matter of linguistics. That's your fancy word for the day. There are no punctuation marks in Greek or Hebrew. So when you find punctuation, it is left to the matter of the translator. It is their interpretive license to put it there, so they choose to do so. 
Many of us are familiar with it being wonderful counselor. We like that, and I have no problem with that. But if you are familiar with music, if you've ever listened to or performed in Handel's Messiah, you're familiar with what he did, that great composer did with these words, right? Wonderful. Boom, boom, boom. Counselor. He takes them apart. Why? Because in his mind, they are two distinct things. And even though you can put them together and have a great meaning, they are two distinct words with distinct meanings. And he is our counselor. The Hebrew word for counselor is the word yatz. And it simply means to give counsel, to advise, to direct, to guide. You know, here's the thing. A counselor doesn't have to be wonderful. A counselor doesn't even have to be good. In fact, it was by one wicked counselor that our entire world fell into sin and disobedience. Satan came into the garden as a counselor. He counseled in deceit and lies. He questioned God's word. Do you remember? He came to Eve and he said, did God really say? Man, whenever you start questioning God's word, you're in trouble right from the start. And then he gave her this direction, this counsel, this advice. He said, you'll not surely die. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, able to discern between good and evil. And so it was that Satan counseled our first mother to disobey the direction of God. Not every counselor is wonderful. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, it's a whole lot easier to counsel someone into foolishness than it is to counsel them into righteousness. Most people are ready to take advice and direction if it's going to lead them into something they want to do, although what they want to do may be something that's going to get them into trouble. I've told students for decades, remember this, for every decision you have and every choice you make, there are consequences. Choose well, live good. Choose poorly, suffer. That's the reality. That's good advice. That's good counsel. Satan came into the garden and he, he by bad counsel, he, he deceived mankind and he led this world into sin. Our world needed another counselor. I mean, it, it just makes sense, right? If sin came into the world through an evil counselor, is it not fitting that a righteous counselor, a wonderful counselor, should come and help mankind be restored? It does to me. But I'm just one guy, but I want to tell you something. Restoration takes more than just good advice. It, it takes more than just a good advice, sound counsel. It, it's, it's easy to counsel mischief, but it's difficult to counsel wisdom. Why? Because it's not just that you hear words, it's that you act upon those words. It took a divine counselor, a wonderful counselor, to restore obedience and fellowship and order into the life of mankind to sweep away evil, to forgive sin, to redeem man back into the Father's possession. Why, who could be such a counselor? Only one. Only one. None other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor. There is no other. Sin came into the world through one man, and so did redemption. Jesus is his name. He is our counselor. 
But I want you to understand what that means. You see, he is our historical counselor. So what do you mean a historical counselor? Well, friends, I want you to get a grip on this. Because see, as Christmas comes, we get all focused on this baby arriving in Bethlehem. That's not a bad thing. But I want you to understand something. Jesus was before the beginning of time. Before anything was created, Jesus was. Before God spoke order into that chaotic void, before the stars were flung into the heavens, before the waters and the land separated, before anything that lived and breathed was created and placed in this earth, Jesus was. Christ was the counselor with the Father. Before creation began, listen, go with me in my imagination for a moment, will you? I promise I will bring it back to a place where you can stand on some of you are going to say as I talk, you're going to say, well, he didn't get that out of Scripture. He didn't get that out of Scripture. We'll get back to that place, okay? Just go with me on this little journey for a moment. Have you all got a sanctified imagination? Use it, okay? Use it. Before creation, there was a divine council held in the chambers of heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came together. Now, people want to know, why was this divine counsel held? It wasn't for lack of knowledge, because we know that God is omniscient. He, he knows all things. He has all wisdom and all knowledge. Nor was it that God needed time for deliberation. I, it takes us a while to get to decision point, doesn't it? I mean, come on, folks, you're in a Baptist church. We have a committee for everything, and our committees can meet for months and months and months and months and still never reach a decision. But it's not that way when God comes together in council as the Godhead. Nor was this council held to reach an agreement or to build consensus because the Godhead of the Trinity is always of one mind. Sometimes we have to look for outside counsel, don't we? I mean, we, we, we talk to our family members. We talk to our friends and say, you know, give, give me an idea. What, what do you think about this? And, and we love it when they say, man, I think you're on the right track. I think you're going the right direction. That, that's a good idea. Why don't you pursue that and, and see where it takes you? God didn't need confirmation for his plans. He's God. So why was this divine counsel held? It was done in order to reveal the unity and the work of the Godhead together. So how do you know that? We're getting there. The first thing I'm going to tell you is I know it from the creation. You see, God the Father did not speak and say, I think I'll make a man. No. God the Father spoke for the Godhead and said, let us make man in our image unity walk on through the events of creation if you will Christ was the counselor 
to the Father and the Holy Spirit in matters of creation. In John chapter 1 verse 3, the apostle writes as he begins his gospel talking about Jesus. Through him all things were made without him, without Christ, without the incarnate word, without the Son, nothing was made that has been made. Later in the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews The writer of that marvelous letter says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10, In the beginning, O Lord, you, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. You see, even the writer of that letter to the Hebrews understood that Jesus was the creative genius of the creation. He was the counselor to the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was there giving counsel and acting when the mountains were raised up out of the ocean. He was the one who was there when the boundaries were set between the land and the seas and when the sun was called forth to rise in the east and to set in the west. It was by sovereign counsel that the stars were flung into their places each one perfectly placed and and working and enduring in a rhythmic orbit that has held all things together. You see, all things great and small were determined together in heavenly counsel by the Godhead, and Christ was there. But how can you say he was counsel to the Father and to the Holy Spirit? Okay. How many of you believe the Word of God is true? Most of you? Okay. Those of you who don't, you're not going to get this. But for those of you who believe the Word of God is true, God's Word says that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that true? Jesus said to his disciples, when I go away, I will send a counselor to you. The Spirit of Christ is in this world, counseling. If he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if this word is true and he is unchanging, and he is counselor today, he was counselor then. And can I just tell you something from personal experience? I mean, throw everything else aside. I'm just going to drop this one on you. He's my counselor today. He is my counselor today. I hope that he's your counselor today. He's mine. Throughout history, he has been the counselor. But today, in the present, he is my counselor. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? I would love for you to walk in my shoes for a week or two. I have people who call me on a regular basis or stop by my office and say, Pastor, you know, we're going through, and they'll outline their situation. Do you happen to know a good Christian counselor? I mean, I just want you to stop for a minute and think about how ludicrous that question is to ask a pastor who believes the Word of God to be true. Do you know a good Christian counselor? No, I know a good Christ who is the wonderful counselor. But that's not what they want. They want somebody with skin on. And Jesus now is in heaven, not here with us. Do you know a good counselor? Yes, I do. 
Now, I want to tell you something. I know some great men and women who are Christian counselors who do amazing work and do a wonderful ministry, but I'm just telling you now, the best counselor that I know is my Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I'm caught in struggle, it's him that I turn to. Whenever I have to make decisions that may impact me or impact the life of my family or impact the people that I love and care about the very most, it's him that I run to. Whenever I'm struggling through situations that are weighing me down and and it seems to me that the days are getting darker and the nights are getting longer and and I'm thinking to myself, I'm headed to a place I don't want to go. It's Jesus that I turn to and I cry out to. Why? Because he's a wonderful counselor. He's my counselor today. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is my counselor in matters of providence or in matters of God's care. That's what providence is. It's how God cares for us. Listen, God is not like some man who wound up a watch and then put it on top of the dresser and said, I'm going to watch this for the next 24 to 36 hours and see how long it takes for this watch to wind down. And there are a lot of people who seem to have that concept of God, that that he just put the world out here and said, y'all take care of yourselves. When you finally blow yourselves up, it's all over. That's not how it works. He did not leave the world to itself. I know it seems that way sometimes. Any of y'all ever felt like that? Like the world is just run amok? A few weeks ago, I was reading again through the book of, of Genesis. And I found myself thinking about this passage of Scripture this, this morning. Because I was reading the life story of Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob? Some of you do. Some of you saying, Jacob who? Let me refresh your memory. It must have seemed like the world was out of control to Jacob. His, his favorite son, Joseph, had disappeared. His brothers came back and told him that Joseph was dead, that wild beasts had gotten him. They brought back his clothing with blood on it. The reality, as we all know, because we've read the story, is that Joseph was not dead. Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt. But there was Jacob grieving for a dead son who was not dead. How how could this be God's will? Time passed. A drought came. With the drought came famine. You remember the story? Cattle were dying. Crops were dying. His sons had to be sitting in their tent at night thinking, where is this mighty God of Jacob we've always heard about? Where, I mean, where is it? We're going to starve to death here. Our families are going to perish. And so Jacob sends the rest of his sons on an errand to Egypt in order to buy grain, in order to provide for their survival. And while they were there, his sons were accused of stealing. And so his next favorite son, his youngest son, his baby boy, Benjamin, was held for ransom in Egypt. And, of course, the brothers, knowing what they had done, living with the guilt over the bad decision they had made and the actions they had taken years before, were wondering to themselves, could this be the hand of God? They went home and they told their father what had happened, and Jacob just simply thought to himself, man, everything is going against me. God must hate me. Verse 
Some of us have felt like that. Some of you have felt like that. You're sitting here looking at me like deer in the headlights. You've glazed. You're glazed because you don't want to give anything away. It's okay. God knows what you've thought before. Jacob thought God hated him. What he didn't know was through all of this difficulty, through all of these tragedies, through all of these painful experiences, God was putting in place a plan that would provide for his survival. God was busy preparing in Egypt a secure place for his family, a place where generations of his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, keep on going down the list. They would survive and they would grow into a, a great nation. And then after four centuries, God would send a deliverer by the name of Moses who would lead them out of Egypt and back to the promised land. Say, why would you tell us that story? Because I want you to see all the bad things that happened in Jacob's life. And that's not all of them, by the way. That's a very brief telling of his story. But I want you to understand something. Jacob learned something that wasn't even written down until late in the first century A.D. Several thousand years intervening. What did he learn? He learned these words that were immortalized in Paul's letter to the Romans. That all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You see, through all of the struggle... God was working out his plan for Jacob and for Jacob's family and for their survival and for the future of Israel. Sometimes we just have to learn to leave the mysteries of how God cares for us in the hands of the wonderful counselor and quit trying to figure it all out and trust him that he has ordained for us that which is for our good. Earlier, I mentioned the letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, there's this amazing verse. It says that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Talking about Jesus. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, I want you to just hang on to that for a second. He intercedes for us. Our wonderful counselor, he is our intercessor. But if you fast forward to the book of Revelation, I want to tell you what it says about Satan. You remember that bad counselor that came to the garden at the very beginning? The one who led Eve and Adam into sin by deceit and lies. Let me tell you what it says about him in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. He's there at the beginning as a deceptive counselor. You get to the end of the book and here's what it says about him. That he is the accuser of the brethren. He's still telling lies, he is still deceptive, and he is still seeking to destroy those whom God loves that he has created and longs to have a relationship with. 
So we have this deceptive counselor who was at the beginning, who will be at the ending, and he is working all the way through history. He is working in your lives and your hearts and your minds and your families and your situations and your relationships today, and he wants to destroy you. God has given us a wonderful counselor, one who reveals truth, one who calls us to himself. He reveals to us how God is working to care for us. I want to tell you one last thing. Jesus is also our counselor in matters of grace. Don't ever forget that. prophet Zechariah was writing about Jesus, messianic prophecy. In chapter 6 of Zechariah, these simple words, but they, they caught my attention. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Now, just pause right there. If you're looking at Zechariah, you can circle the words, the branch, because you see, you'll find the branch back over in Isaiah. He is the branch. He is the root of Jesse. He is the one who is coming. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place. That's Israel. That's the nation. And build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed in majesty. And he will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest upon his throne, and there will be harmony. Now, I said earlier that that Jesus was the counselor. The counselor of the Godhead. And I believe that to be true. And I I found myself as I was drawing to the end of my sermon preparation asking a question. By what arrangement did the Trinity agree on mankind's salvation? How did that come about? Here's what they agreed upon. That God the Father would satisfy the price tag of sin by giving his son who would put on flesh, live a perfect, sinless life. And when he came to the conclusion of his time on earth that this one who knew no sin would become sin and die in our place, thus satisfying the wages of sin, death in order that we might experience the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit would be involved in this process as well. He was given the mission, the job, the the task of calling people and convicting them of sin and drawing them toward the Father so that they could receive this gift. It was agreed that salvation would be the gift of God to all who would come to him through Christ in repentance and faith. 
And I'm telling you all of that to tell you this. You say, wait a minute, preacher, you're getting way off base. We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about the coming of the baby. No, that's what you're thinking about. That's not what I'm thinking about. I want to tell you something that I think is incredibly important today. And I want you to hear it. If you've not heard anything else, or if you hear nothing else after I say this, please hear what I'm about to tell you right now. The cross was no accident in history. It was agreed upon by divine counsel. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed that the Christ would come. He would be born. And that he would go to the cross to provide the price tag for sin. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. They're verses you've heard before. I've used them before. I've preached out of them. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers. No. It was with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish. Without defect. Here's what I want you to hear. The tail end of this fragment. You ready? Are you listening? He was chosen before the creation of the world. Did you hear what God said? He was chosen before the creation of the world. But was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before the creation of the world. The council agreed. Here's how we're going to save mankind. Here's how we're going to bring humanity back to the Father. And that's why I can stand here today and I can tell you without any question at all. He is my wonderful counselor. He has saved me. He has forgiven me. He has given me a different course and a different path. He has called me back to the Father. He has not made me perfect because I am not perfect. My wife is not in this room. I could claim otherwise. But I know it's not true. I'm not perfect. But I will tell you what I am. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees his Son who is my garment of righteousness. And today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know the Father is not glaring at your sin. He is looking with love at His Son because that's what He sees when He looks at you. Have you accepted this wonderful Counselor? Listen, friends, He is wonderful. And he is our counselor. But I want to know, is Christ your guide today? No one has ever called on him in vain. I've never met anyone who has regretted following him with their life and letting him be their counselor. What he was when he walked among mankind, he still is today. I I read the Gospels. I'm going to tell you, he was compassionate then. He's compassionate now. He was kind then. He is kind now. He was a friend to sinners. He still is today. That's why I'm standing here. 
He loved the children. He still loves the children. Everything he was then, he is now. He was forgiving then. He is forgiving now. He was a transforming power in that day. He is a transforming power today. Have you turned him loose in your life? Have you surrendered your heart to his? Have you allowed him to make you into something new and beautiful and wonderful that's pleasing in the sight of the Father? If you have, you ought to rejoice in that. You have a wonderful counselor. Fall on him. Listen to him. Let him lead you and guide you where he will. You'll not regret it. But if you don't know him, if there is today a longing in your heart for relationship with God, if there is a knowledge that you need something more out of your faith, if there is a, a, a drawing that says, I need to go to Jesus, I invite you. Come meet this wonderful counselor. Please hear me. I'm not saying to you, that everything will be good or everything will be wonderful or that life will be easier. But I am telling you this, he will work all things together, good and bad, to accomplish his perfect will in your life. And the outcome that God has for his children is always good. Do you know my Jesus? Are you walking with my counselor today? If you're not, but you want to, I'd love to visit with you. In just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of surrender. Listen, if you're here and you don't have that relationship, but you want it, I want to invite you. Come, take me by the hand. Say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I will not embarrass you. I will not put you on the spot. I just want to visit with you, pray with you, hear where you're at in life, and, and, and figure out where it is you need to be going in your life. We'll do it together, and we'll let God lead you where he wants to take you. See, it's not about me. It's not about this church. This is about God's people, and it's about his lost creation finding their way into a relationship through this wonderful counselor. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song. Friend, we won't be a long time. But if God's calling you this morning, if you need a relationship with him, if you're being drawn toward him, maybe you, you say, well, I'm, I'm not really sure. I just know that there's something wrong. There's something missing. There's got to be something more to life. I want to tell you something. That's not just your, your head running circles. That's your heart being moved by the Spirit of God. Is he drawing you to himself? Would you listen to him? Would you let him have his way? Brothers and sisters, if you're in that relationship and you know, rejoice in it. You are blessed. But if you need that relationship, come to Jesus. Let him have his way. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that reminds us of how you are at work in our world. You've always been at work. You still are. And Father, so often we struggle 
we struggle to understand because we see the bad. We don't understand how the bad can be worked to good, but you always do it. Father, I pray that today you would teach us to trust you, that you would draw us to yourself. And so, Father, I pray for us in this room that those who know you would rejoice in their relationship. Those who've wandered from you will wander back. That those who have never surrendered their life to you through Jesus Christ today would understand their need and be drawn to the Savior, our wonderful Counselor. Father, have your way in our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.